Hello everybody, this is Jacob, also known as Big Yellow Praxis. I am here with another episode about underrated music. This is a podcast where I talk very generally, well sometimes specifically I guess, with people about music that I think is underrated or overhated. Um, I'm not the best at coming up with imaginative names, so I've just named the podcast Underrated Overhated. So this episode, I am joined by Mark and Kevin from the Yes Music Podcast, who I, I assume it is the longest running Yes Music Podcast, but um, I'll, I'll <laughs> let them introduce themselves, um, because I know it's coming up to their 10th anniversary. Uh, Kevin and Mark, it's down to you. Hello there. Yes, I'm Kevin, and Mark is with me as well over in Canada. Hello, Mark. Hello, Kevin. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, thank you. So here we are on a different podcast. Um, and yes, about the Yes Music Podcasts. So I started the Yes Music po- Podcast in 2011, uh, when the world was a very different place, I suppose. So we're coming up to the, the 10th anniversary, as you've said, Jacob. And we're, we're having a special event for the, the 10th anniversary, which fingers crossed is going to actually take place. Um, who knows what lockdown situation we'll be in by then. It's in, it's in um, August of this year, and we're going to Yes Tour in Devon. Uh, and we're going to record the 500th episode of the podcast from the top of Yes Tour in Devon. And the reason for that is if you're scratching your head and wondering why that would be, is that my favourite Yes album is Tormato, and that was originally going to be called Yes Tour, that album, not, not Tormato at all. And it features artwork of the band. It looks like they're standing. They're not actually, but it looks like they're standing in front of Yes Tour. So that's where I'm going to go and, and do a little, a little pilgrimage uh, to Yes Tour to record the 500th episode later this year. So, Mark, when did you join as actual co-host? That's actually a very good question because I was trying to figure that out myself. And it's been a while since I've been on here. But I mean, I actually started out by submitting uh, some of my reviews. I remember I sent in a Rick Wakeman review of one of the records. I think it was, uh, I don't remember which one it was, but it's like Time Traveler, one of those records from like, <laughs> you know, those, those, that 80s period where people were kind of like just rolling their eyes whenever you mentioned the name Rick Wakeman. <laughs> so uh, I, re- I reviewed a couple of those records and, you know, Kevin liked them. He would read them on the show. And, uh, I started, you know, putting these little guest host spots in where I would pop in every once in a while and talk about things with them. And then Kevin messaged me and asked if I wanted to co-host. And I was blown away because mm-hmm. I loved listening to this podcast. I was listening to it from almost near the beginning. Hello, everybody. This is Jacob, also known as Big Yellow Praxis. I am here with another episode about underrated music. This is a podcast where I talk very generally, well, sometimes specifically, I guess, with people about music that I think is underrated or overhated. Um, I'm not the best at coming up with imaginative names, so I've just named the podcast Underrated Overhated. So this episode, I am joined by Mark and Kevin from the Yes Music Podcast, who I, I assume it is the longest running Yes Music Podcast, but um, I'll, I'll let them introduce themselves. <laughs> Um, because I know it's coming up to their 10th anniversary. Uh, Kevin and Mark, it's down to you. Hello there. Oh, Mark, you can say hello. Oh, uh, hello. How are you doing? Sorry. Uh, I just thought that Kevin was going to start with the introduction there. So. <laughs> That's all right. You can edit that bit out. I'll start again. Hello there. Yes, I'm Kevin, and Mark is with me as well over in Canada. Hello, Mark. Hello, Kevin. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine, thank you. So here we are on a different podcast. 
Um, and yes, about the Yes Music podcasts. So I started the Yes Music po- podcast in 2011, uh, when the world was a very different place, I suppose. So we're coming up to the the 10th anniversary, as you've said, Jacob, and we're we're having a special event for the the 10th anniversary, which fingers crossed is going to actually take place. Um, who knows what lockdown situation we'll be in by then? It's in it's in um, August of this year, and we're going to Yes Tour in Devon, uh, and we're going to record the 500th episode of the podcast from the top of Yes Tour in Devon. And the reason for that is if you're scratching your head and wondering why that would be, is that my favourite Yes album is Tormato, and that was originally going to be called Yes Tour, that album, not, not Tormato at all, and it features artwork of the band. It looks like they're standing, they're not actually, but it looks like they're standing in front of Yes Tour. So that's where they're going to go and, and do a little, a little pilgrimage uh, to Yes Tour to record the 500th episode later this year. So Mark, when did you join as actual co-host? That's actually a very good question because I was trying to figure that out myself and it's been a while since I've been on here, but I mean, I actually started out by submitting uh, some of my reviews. I remember I sent in a Rick Wakeman review of one of the records. I think it was, uh, I don't remember which one it was, but it's like Time Traveler, one of those records from like, <laughs> you know, those, 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 that 80s period where people were kind of like just rolling their eyes whenever you mentioned the name Rick Wakeman. <laughs> so uh, I, re- I reviewed a couple of those records and, you know, Kevin liked them. He would read them on the show. and. uh I started, you know, putting these little guest host spots in where I would pop in every once in a while and talk about things with them. And then Kevin messaged me and asked if I wanted to co-host. And I was blown away because mm-hmm. I loved listening to this podcast. I was listening to it from almost near the beginning. So to become involved in it permanently was just honestly a dream come true. I don't want to, you know, make it sound like I'm kissing his rear end or something. But <laughs> I, 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 I honestly... I'm very honored to be involved with it because it's such a great podcast. I've met so many great people. I had the pleasure also of bringing in some people that I knew, like Billy Sherwood into the fold that helped out the podcast quite a bit. And, uh, you know, it's turned out splendidly well, as they would say, overseas. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely, yes. It's been great to have you, Mark. Thank you. Um, So I I just wanted to to, to note a few things there. You've already briefly touched upon the subject of this episode, which is album covers. And secondly, that's an impressively controversial decision as your favorite Yes album. Um, and I, I like I like the controversy yeah. that you've you've just you've, you've you've rolled with it there. I really like it. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, there is a story behind that. that anyone who listens to the podcast has heard it many times, but very briefly, it was the one of the two first Yes albums I heard. Um, Brian gave me a, a, a tape which from his brother's records, and on one side was 90125, the 1983 album, and on the other side was Tormato. So it was the first, you know, classic sounding, whatever your views are on that, um, yes, I'd ever heard, and my mind was very firmly blown by it. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the, the 80s 90125 stuff, but Tormato really pointed me in the right direction, and then from there I found out everything about about the band. Nice, very nice. So, we are, I've briefly pointed out there, 
in this episode, we're going to talk about album covers. This is not something I've talked about much in my podcast episodes so far, but I think it's I think it's super important. It's a super important of of the music we listen to, and it's maybe less important in the day of the days of Spotify, and it probably was less important during the the age of CDs than it was in the age of vinyl. But I still think it's important. Um, I don't want to preamble too much because I'm sure like random discussion points will come up as we go through the the choices. But basically, we've each chosen two album covers uh, and a couple songs um, from each album that we we like, um, and we're just kind of kind of talk through, uh, I guess, what we like about the album cover in and of itself and kind of the relationship between it and the music of the album it's actually for. So I'm just going to throw it out there and throw it to one of you two to start. So I'm going to throw it straight to, sorry to put you on the spot, Mark, do you want to choose one of yours? Um, and we could talk about that first. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and there's no worries here. Uh, I picked two <laughs> album covers that have greatly affected me the very first time I saw them. Uh, the, let's go with the first one that I selected, and that is Genesis Nursery Crime. Now, mm-hmm. I remember the very first time I saw that album cover, I was like, what the heck is going on here? They're playing croquet with some heads on the ground here. Uh, I thought it very <laughs> interesting artwork and an interesting choice. And I think, in, in essence, this is what album artwork is supposed to do, kind of make you kind of, you know, when you're walking down the aisle, to kind of stop and go, er, whoa, what the heck is that? Turn around, look back, and pick it up and say, uh, wow, what are these guys thinking of? And then you flip the back and you notice that there's even more artwork connected to it. And then right away for me, that was like the, the fishing lure to like go in and mm-hmm. buy this record because I'm like, what is this? I'm looking at their musical box, the return of the giant hogweed and all this stuff. I'm like this sounds very interesting. And I was at that point starting to get right into my progressive rock phase, which I'm still in now like 20 30 years later mm-hmm. so um i love i love this type of stuff so as soon as i saw this artwork it connected me right away to it and uh the song that i did select actually as the song like a point of talking later is the return of the giant hogweed mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's a great so- mm-hmm. choice for a song mm-hmm. i've actually um briefly talked about the song in a previous podcast of mine where i got a friend who studied science at university and we went through a bunch of songs that like ostensibly talk about science and kind of rated them on like their scientific accuracy. Um, and I think his conclusion was like, not necessarily the most accurate, but definitely a great song. Um, I, I really like the song. And it, it really kind of encapsulates that kind of wacky, yet sophisticated style of Genesis. And I think the album cover mm-hmm. does just the same. Um, and interestingly, I have, I have a friend who she always says that she doesn't like Genesis album covers because they're just too creepy for her, which I, again, is something I totally get. Mm. I can't really disagree. But there's there's something about the whimsy and the fantasy side mm. that it really just matches the mm. music. And in and of itself, I think, you know, it's great. It's great stuff. Um, but did, yeah. you, did, you, did you have anything specific to say about, like, I don't know, the song? Because it's not one of my sure. favorite songs, but I, I, really, I do enjoy it. It's great fun. Yeah, well, I mean, the the thing about the song that I like uh, about it from a guitar player's perspective is that it's very, uh, you know, it's technically challenging, but not like impossible from a guitar player's yes. point of view. And also, it points out a very important thing that's been, you know, I'm not sure how big you are into the whole guitarist circle of things and, you know, uh, how people debate about certain things within the music community, but um, there was always the great debate of, who started the two-handed tapping yes, thing yeah, in the yeah. guitar world. <laughs> and everybody's saying, you know, Edward Van Halen, you know, Eruption is the starting point. And I'm just thinking of myself, nah, 
you know, if you go back and you watch the early live footage of this song, Steve Hackett is clearly doing a tapping technique at the beginning of this song. Mm-hmm. And this is like 72, 71, yeah, yeah. around there. So that predates Edward a long time beforehand. You know, and then, you know, people also said, you know, well, ZZ Top, but that was just like one little ridiculous note yes, he just did. Probably yeah, yeah. he probably just did it by accident, probably. Did you, have but, you ever seen the, uh, the video yeah. of Chet Atkins employing a bit of tapping, though? I, I don't know whether that's in like the 60s or something. And it, it blew my mind when I saw it. <laughs> it's a, it's a no, totally different I, style, obviously. It's like country. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't see. And, and, and I guess the point is the same that we're trying to make with those examples is that, you know, some of these things could have even been done, you know, who knows, by some yeah. guy and some bloke in the 1800s on an acoustic yes. guitar by accident. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it, who, who did it first, I think, is unimportant. It's how the technique is used within the music. I think that's more important. And I think it makes a great uh, example of how a guitar can play with a keyboard player and have such a similarly kind of interesting sound that they can put together. That's why I've always liked this song. And the, one of the things about Genesis back at this time, and I, I wonder, I'm get, curious to get your comments on this, Jacob, is I always thought that Peter Gabriel back at this time was so focused on the lyrics that he wrote that he didn't edit himself very much. And this is why you got kind of those lyrics and those melodies in his songs where he's like, he won't get a word out of there. And so you have these really, really overblown lyrics in there. And, you know, later on, I think once he started getting producers in like Daniel Lenoir to help him, I think they probably said, uh, listen, Peter, you might want to cut a few of these words out and actually give us some decent melodies. Because I think <laughs> at this point, he was so focused on the story that he didn't want to cut any of it out. What What are your thoughts on that? I Yeah, I, I think I'm inclined to agree. Um, and it's not... Um... Yeah, I think it's it's an unedited wordiness. And I think like almost like the counter example would be like Joni Mitchell, who's very wordy in her songs. Like you listen to like line by line, there's so many words and syllables, but that's a very yeah. conscious, it's almost like literary from her. And I'm not trying to say she's inherently much better as a lyricist than what Peter Gabriel became. But early on, Peter Gabriel, to me, yeah, there is a lot of that. And that is part of the fun, I think. But I, I, do, I do agree. Uh, what about you, Kevin? Do you Do you tend to agree as well? Yeah, I, I, I think I do. And it's interesting, there's a little parallel between that and the song that I'm going to talk about later and the style of, of John Anderson, actually, because he does tend to do that as well. He tends to just uh, ignore the, the, the meter or whatever of the, of the <laughs> lyrics and of the, of the music and, and just sticks in all the words that he wants to and, and words which don't necessarily make sense um, but, but fit with the, with the mood of the music and, and, and so on. And I do... I do like that. That's actually the, the first time, and people are going to hit the roof when I say this, but it's the first time that I've heard Return of the Giant Hogweed. Um, I've heard a lot of other um, Genesis material over the years. Wow, wow, wow. And uh, I know, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but it, it was, it, it's very enjoyable. But I was just going to say about the, 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 the cover there. Uh, I, I think you're right, it's, it's whimsical, and, but I think it's particularly English. In its in its whimsy, and I and I think that's what that the music does evoke to me as well. Mm-hmm. It's very it's a very English style, it seems mm-hmm. to me. And if you think of something like Alice in, uh, in Wonderland, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, where they play croquet with with um, hedgehogs, that's a very similar idea. And that that kind of surrealism, um, I think, stems from a lot of a lot of English literary and and musical work before it, and and flows into to uh, music after it as well and i suppose the a lot of the roots of progressive 
music are in English music and, mm-hmm. you know, then it spreads out to, to Italy and, and yes, there's other sure. places around the world, you, uh, the US and so on. But I think in, in essence, it's, uh, it's an English form. So that's why I like to see this, uh, this artwork on the front of Genesis. Although, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily like it as artwork. <laughs> it doesn't affect the same way as Roger Dean or whatever, but, uh, but yes, you can see why they did it. I does the, the music very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think I think actually this is probably a good place then for us to segue into talking about the John Anderson album because it's it's quite a different it's it's fantastical still, but it's a different style of music. I mean, it's still progressive rock, but it's it's still quite different, and the art is definitely different. So yeah, so this I I don't you 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 you'll you'll be better at introducing it than I will I will be. But all I know is that it's not Roger Dean, which is what I would assume in a way yeah. because of Roger That's Dean's right. art with yes, but. I, I know nothing about it. So it, do you want to introduce it? Because I think it's a great Yeah, album. so, so I've, I've chosen Elias of Sun Hello, which is topical uh, at the moment because they're just releasing a new, or just released a new version, a new, a new revamped version, and all sorts of things done to it in a new patch, and it looks, looks beautiful with the original artwork on there. I think it's only a CD, but I'd be wrong about that. Uh, anyway, of course, that's, as you were mentioning earlier, Jacob, it's from the, the Age of Vinyl, uh, 1976, and it was at the point uh, of, of Yes where they decided to all go off and do a, a solo album. And unlike the other members of the band, so you had Fish Out of Water, which is another fantastic um, album, solo album by Chris Squire and Ramshackle, which is interesting, <laughs> not as good perhaps, by Alan White, yeah. Beginnings by Steve Howe, and The Story of I by um, Patrick Moraz, who was in the band briefly at that stage, but very importantly at that stage. So, yes, uh, they did do what Jonathan did with Hello, which was, much like Mike Oldfield, um, he played all the instruments, he wrote everything, he sang all the, the, the vocal parts, and so it really is, you know, the essence of a solo album. There wasn't anybody else involved with the music at all. He did have help with, uh, with some mixing and production and those sorts of things but every every part of the music is it's entirely down to him and the and the concept of the album and it, it's a really progressive uh, concept album and again the, the the truest form because it tells a story it's uh, it's like a, it could be staged as an opera i suppose a, a rock opera in the same way as tommy or something like that but it's a fantastical um, idea of these these four races of people on a planet who who have to escape the planet because there's been a cataclysmic eruption and they've got to get off the planet. And so they, they, <laughs> and they build, they build this vehicle called the Moonglave. The moon, I knew I'd say that wrong. The, the Moorglade Mover, which mm. is a kind of, it looks a bit like a, a combination of an animal and a, and a ship, a Viking ship or something like that. And they build that and they escape the world and they travel to a new world to, all together and it's all very uh, harmonic and so on at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a story that, that the, the reason it isn't uh, Roger Dean artwork is because Anderson asked him many times, but he was too busy apparently to commit to designing uh, what is a, a gatefold sleeve, but it has all sorts of different um, portraits and, and pieces of artwork on it and and the sleeve is, is again, highly, highly designed um, in the same way. 
So, yes, he had to go to an artist by the name of David Fairbrother Rowe, who was suggested by... And I think that what he comes up with is actually perfect. It's, it's reminiscent, I suppose, of something that, that Roger Dean would have done if he'd been able to. Uh, but I do think it captures the sort of imaginative force and the, the fairy tale science fiction aspects of it. It's, it's, I don't know what it's like. It's, uh, it's designed on the front and back of it um, as if it was some kind of a, an album, uh, you know, of, of a story, a storybook, um, a fantasy storybook. Mm-hmm. And inside it, there's the whole of the, the whole of the story written out by, by John. And it's, a, it's an incredible piece of work. And in terms of how it fits with the music, the, the funny thing about Elias is that it doesn't sound very much like anything else. It's got elements of yes in it. It's got elements of uh, Vangelis and that kind of keyboard wizardry of the time, uh, but it's not really like anything else. And I suppose the vocal harmony, but like some yes harmonies that, that John Anderson did uh, for, for Fragile, where he um, he did uh, a song called "We Have Heaven," which has all sorts of layered harmonies yes, on it, and yeah. they're similar to that, but they don't sound the same. It, it's it couldn't be a Yes album. It, it it doesn't have a lot of the the factors that Yes albums have, and and the the song from it that I chose as a as a kind of uh, perfect one um, for it is 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 the uh, the flight of the of the Morglade, which is the point in the story where they, they get off the, the planet and they, they fly somewhere else. And there, there's even, I'm sorry I'm going on about this a bit, but there's even a, a, a big parallel between the, the story here and the artwork here and what Roger Dean did for Yes, because um, on Fragile, if you have a look at that cover, that's the beginning of a story mm-hmm. about a planet which disintegrates, sort of a fragile planet which disintegrates and, and bits of it fly off, sort of T-shaped sections of it fly off into the universe. And then on other album covers like Yes Songs, um, some of those, those bits of the original planet land on different planets and start growing and getting, in, <laughs> getting integrated into the environment there. So all sorts of, of fantastical and amazing um, connections and it is a, a fabulous work and uh, as I say unique I think in progressive or any other music mm-hmm. yeah yeah I, I totally agree I think I think it's great so I had a few thoughts there almost like his approach John Anderson's approach here if it reminds me of anyone I don't think it necessarily sounds like them musically but the approach is I think he holds it's not surprising because he's not the most technically accomplished instrumentalist in the world. I'm going to compare him to two other people who are brilliant but not technically accomplished musicians. And they're kind of the two brilliant Brian's of production. Brian Eno, who his albums don't sound like this, mm. but there's a similar kind of building it up piece by piece. And it's not like there's not an yeah. amazing guitar part necessarily, but the guitar part with the bass, with the drums, all layers up. Um and the other Brian, who I always mention in this podcast because I love him, Brian Wilson, has a similar approach mm. where, again, not necessarily sounding much like it aesthetically immediately, but that kind of similar complex parts are kind of spread across instruments and it's building up layer by layer. And I, I feel like... 
I mean, that's a brilliant song. I love it. I love it. You just, it's, it's like you singing it to me there. It's like the voice of an angel. I, I love it. Um, oh, and, I think, and I think, I think John Anderson is probably, he's not channeling them necessarily, but he's probably in a similar mode of like, I have, you know, he's very much, he clearly has a vision. And I, I always saw him as a kind of visionary yes. heart, beating heart of yes, which is what I really love about John Anderson. Um, and yeah. this kind well, of he, LinkedIn, he says the process, sorry, he says the process nearly killed him. Because he, he shut himself away because he was so worried that exactly as you say, he, he wasn't seen as and didn't consider himself to be a great instrumentalist or, mm. or you know, from that point yeah. of view. But so he shut himself away and wouldn't let anyone else hear the music until he was absolutely happy yeah. with it. Mm. Yeah, that, that's, that's the point I was going to make too, is that I think the reason why there has never been a follow-up to this is because while he keeps claiming that he's going to be doing it and he's working on it, I think Secret will be in the back of his mind I don't think that he wants to do another one because the the amount of stress it was on his life doing this. I mean, could you imagine thinking to yourself, I'm going to go through this again to complete another record. Mm. I just don't think that he wants <laughs> to do that same thing over again. I mean, you Kevin mentioned that he didn't let anybody listen to it. I mean, there's record of it saying that he didn't even let his wife hear it and he didn't even let uh, uh, Ahmed Erdogan, who was president of Atlantic Records, hear it. And that wow. was one of his biggest supporters. Like he, yeah. he backed, yes, they mm -hmm. let, he let them do anything they wanted. So for him not to let Ahmed Erdogan listen to it, I mean, mm -hmm. something was going on with John, but then, you know, I think for the last 30 years, something's been going on with John. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, he's an interesting character to say the least. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, I love the record. I mean, if you don't mind me giving my two cents on the record yeah, go now, ahead, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I think the artwork is fantastic. I love the kind of booklet that comes in with it. I mean, certain pressings, they have it constructed in a certain way where you can like, it's like stapled into the album and there's like a little separate booklet within the album that kind of goes through the whole story. I think it's fantastic. It's a brilliant idea. It shows how much commitment he had to the story as well to have that put into the album jacket. Uh, and the music to me is really meditative, I find. It borders on like, you know, if I need to just chill out after a stressful day, Putting on Elias of Sun Hillow is probably one of the best records you can put on in that capacity. And I, I think that he did a great job. The fact that it was just him playing on this is just incredible. Because, I mean, while it's nothing overly complex, there's a lot of tracks on there. I mean, I think I read somewhere that they said there was almost 100 tracks used to make the album. So that's like, that's a ridiculous amount of, you know, recording done overall to do it. I mean, he doesn't have a 100 track machine. I think what they meant is that they did like, 24 tracks overall through the whole album right mm, yes. of recording so mm. uh it's but that's a lot of recording and for one person to do it and mm. i mean me myself who uh i make my own music as well called project gemini i do everything by myself as well and you know mm. i know how it is to, to do everything from scratch and to do every last instrumentation vocal mixing everything it's a lot of work and mm. if you like doing it then it's fun. But if it ends up being something where you're pulling your hair out and you want to, you know, throttle yourself at the end, uh, I guess you don't want to have to do those kind of records all the time. So I think that's why later on he made some little bit more, you know, simplistic or record or simplistic or easier records to make than uh, Elias, like mm -hmm. animation, uh, you know, song of seven and stuff, stuff like that. They're all great records, but I don't think he ever returned to this level of songwriting and like lyric writing. Mm -hmm. I agree. Mm -hmm. I just have to say, I shouldn't be surprised that the two Yes Music podcasters have a lot to say about a Yes member solo album. <laughs> but I, I, I totally, agree. I totally agree with everything you're saying. But I was going to make one other point, and then, and then we'll move on because I think 
we've chosen a lot. We, I think we've all, when we get to the other uh, albums we've chosen, it'll be clear they're quite progressive <laughs> in nature for the most part. But I, I've also heard people say regarding progressive rock that the, uh, I guess the success or, yeah, the success of a progressive rock band is largely dependent on like how successful the world they create for themselves is, you know, whether they're in a sci-fi world or a fantasy world. And yes, for example, are always a little bit sci-fi and a bit fantasy. Um, whether it's mm. Genesis, very English, very fairy tale, um, Caravan, a whimsical and Tolkien-esque, I guess. Um, you know, they've all got their own little world, and I think that's a key important part of progress, a progressive rock album or band. And I think John Anderson does a great mm. job here. I really do think he does a great job of mm. the entire package, creating this like cool little world. And you know, I I really like it for it. <laughs> I have to say. Um, I think it's time to go into one of my choices. So I think the first one we'll go to for my choices is the Van Morrison album, Hard Knows the Highway, which is an mm. album I really like. I really like Van Morrison. In fact, um, someone who shared a kitchen with me when I was at university would probably argue that I like, I like Van Morrison maybe a little bit too much. Um, he he now says that he just cannot listen to Van Morrison because I listened to him too much whilst at university. Um, Andrew, if you are listening, I apologise. I'm very sorry, um, but I still love Van Morrison and I always will. So this album cover is it was by uh, someone called Rob Springett, who I've researched him a bit. He doesn't seem to have done lots of albums covers beyond this. He did a few for Herbie Hancock, and they're always you know good album covers, but he seems to have largely disappeared by the mid 70s and you know when i google him and look for him there are other people on forums saying you know what happened to this guy um so unfortunately i can't really say much beyond there's this a few herbie hancock albums and they're really the most famous ones but um the song i chose uh, as well from this album is snow in and snow in san anselmo it's, it's a bit of a tongue twister for me that that name um i love the song i love the album cover <laughs> but <laughs> I guess for you, for you guys, and either of you can take it first. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on on the song itself, or Van Morrison generally, and also maybe I should just say what I think. Actually, I love the song. I've already said that I love Van Morrison. I don't think the album cover matches the music at all, although I do like the album cover. Um, I'm, I'm quite curious what your um, either of your thoughts are on any of the things I've just said. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well. Well, I, I yes. First time I'd heard this, I I, I know the Van Morrison hits, um, but beyond that, I have not not heard any. I don't think Van uh, Morrison's of album tracks and so on, and and I don't know a lot about his his range and breadth. What I did think about this song is it's a very it's a very good song, and I very much appreciate um, Van Morrison's singing on this. Particularly, I think his vocal style is is mm-hmm. remarkable, and you know it's one of those people like John Anderson that you can tell it's Van Morrison. It couldn't be anyone else. And yes. um, the arrangement is really odd. Now you may know more a lot more about this than I do, but the choir is a very strange and and almost um, ill fitting part of the song. And certainly at the beginning, they seem to be singing out of tune for some reason. Um, it, it's a very strange choral arrangement, and and whether the 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 artwork fits the song, I suppose not. I mean, the artwork is quite surreal, isn't it? So you've got mm. you've got cows with with um, blue and 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 white on them, and like clouds in the sky, or 
or something, and very strange enigmatic characters and some seagulls and cliffs and things. Uh, and it's yes, it's it's very very good art artwork. But it, again, yes, I agree with you. It doesn't seem to fit the the music, which was which is you know remarkable, but very odd. I thought. How about you, Mark? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll be totally honest. I mean, you can hear me, right? Yes, yeah, we can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, <clears throat> hearing this for the first time, and I'll be totally honest, I know zero about Van Morrison. Um, and I kind of realized why, uh, and this is not to be, uh, you know, rude or anything. Uh, all, all, all opinions, just... all opinions are welcomed. Be honest, be honest. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> I, and, and if that, if there's one thing that people who listen to our podcast will definitely say is I am, I am nothing if but honest about my mm-hmm. opinions. Uh, and that is that I've, when I first heard this song, I thought that if I wouldn't have known who Van Morrison actually is, I would have thought this was an African-American singer. He has a very kind of bluesy mm. kind of tone to his singing. I first saw the cover to this. I, I, obviously, I saw the cover before I listened to a note of this music. I thought to myself, oh, OK, this, this is probably going to be someone, someone in these uh, really obscure, you know, band camp prog finds that, you know, okay, you, yes. you're lucky that. <laughs> You're lucky that you find, you know, and it's like one of these pressings that you'll probably like get like one of a hundred, like how I do my stuff, like something really obscure and odd. Because I looked at the cover, I'm like, wow, this is a really cool cover. I really actually enjoyed the album cover. Mm-hmm. I thought that it was excellent done. Uh, it definitely does those things that I mentioned before that I love album covers when they do it correctly do like lure me in. When I look at this cover, I was like, wow, this is really odd. And the title too, Hard Knows the Highway. I was like, hmm. What is that supposed to mean? There's not a highway in sight here. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, you know, so uh, I, I was kind of trying to figure out the title in the connection to the artwork. And sometimes there is none, which I'm mm-hmm. guessing maybe that's what there is here. But I mean, I'm not an expert on Van Morrison and the artwork involved with him. So maybe there is. But uh, when I listened to the song, I thought, again, it was interesting. It was a very, like, very different from what I thought it was going to be. I was like, oh, this is not what this album cover transmitted to me. So that's one of these mm-hmm. things I, I'll tell you right now that I'm big about. I think that the cover and music should be, there should be a connection because otherwise you have something like this that happens. You, you're a guy like me who runs over to the store, sees this album cover and says, Oh man, this is fantastic. I'm going to go buy it. You snap it up. You drop whatever, $20 Canadian for it, bring it home. You put it on mm-hmm. your turntable and you're like, Ooh, what is this? <laughs> oh my God. Why did yeah. I, you know, and, and you kind of get like, not disappointed. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's lots of people who love Van Morrison who probably think that I'm off my rocker saying that, but you know, it's, it's just not what I expected. Musically. It's fine. I mean, I think it's recorded. Well, mm-hmm. I think he did a good performance of it. Yeah. There's little technical things like Kevin brought up, like maybe he's not entirely in tune in spots and stuff like that. But I think overall the performance is interesting. The choir is interesting. There, there's horns in this too, if I remember correctly. Uh, and it's just a fantastic sort of, uh, how, how do I put this? It's a sort of a unexpected arrangement of a song mm-hmm. for this type of, uh, mm-hmm. you know, for the artwork. I mean, I look at it and I, I expect one thing and I get something totally different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to agree that, it, yeah, it's not the best example of, and that's why I chose it, of artwork matching the music. And, <laughs> For me, the the best example that I can think of of the artwork matching the music was um, when I was younger, my brother went into a CD shop. So I I must have been about 14 and I think he was probably 15 or 16. And he just bought an album based solely on the artwork, brought it home 
And the album was Magna Carta, uh, Lord of the Ages, mm. and it's a Roger Dean uh, artwork. And I don't think he mm. knew that necessarily at the time, but obviously we are, we already knew Roger Dean and liked his artwork. Um, and I think I think it's a really good album. I really like it. Um, and that is one of those things where sometimes you can buy something based solely on the artwork, and it works out fine. And mm. it did there. But I think you're right. This would mm. this this album would mislead a lot of people. <laughs> um, but um, mm. Mm. Van Morrison generally. I would say, I mean, I, I really like him, but he's very much not prog. He's, I've never come across a songwriter who has managed to so successfully, for me personally, um, eke out a career on so few chords. I mean, every song is essentially three or four chords, which <laughs> for, for a lot of people would not work. And um, for me personally, for Van Morrison, I, I'm, I'm into it. I, I, I'm into it all the way. I, his voice is just, it just hits the right notes for me. And... I think it's great, but yeah, definitely not for everyone. He's he is very much, as you say, Mark. Like he's a soulful, bluesy singer. He's not mm. necessarily the most concerned about hitting notes perfectly, but it's more about the mm. kind of uh, the the charisma and the feel. Yeah, the feel exactly. Um, mm. But I, mm. I I think I think he's great. So I think it's perfect time to move on to the next album cover and album. Mm. And I think we should go. We'll go. We'll we'll keep going around in the same order. I think we'll go back to Mark for your second choice. Um, Mm. All right. So my second choice is one that's going to be not very surprising to people who listen to our podcast, because, of course, it's <laughs> yes related this time. I wanted to have one non yes related and one yes related. So I picked a gentleman that, of course, has a, a long history with the band. And he's actually a person that I collect a vast amount of his material on vinyl. I, I'm one of these guys who has like nine pressings of his first record. 15 different pressings of his second record. <laughs> and that's, of course, Rick Wakeman. And the album that I selected is uh, The Wives of Six, The Six Wives of King Henry, the eighth, right? Or seventh? I don't remember. Eighth. Um, yes. Eighth. Yeah, eighth. If you were British, though, the six wives would be ingrained upon your, your skull yeah. for all time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and considering how many pressings of the album I have, I'm surprised I didn't know that off the top of my head because I have like, you know, nine <laughs> versions of it, including yes. a test pressing thing, too. Oh, wow. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's uh, for me, this album uh, has very interesting art to it. Because, I mean, it's very sort of historic looking. But, of course, being Rick Wakeman, he had to just, of course, plop himself in the middle of this photograph, you know, to, to make it like a little non-historic, you know, having him in there. Mm. Uh, but I like the way it's constructed in the, in the sense that he has the pictures of the wives in the back with a little write-up about each one, when they were born, when they were died, you know, what happened, their, their story within their life with the king, right? Uh, and the other thing that I love as well, being that this is a gatefold, is when you open the album, inside is a nice big picture of him amongst his keyboards, and it has a nice detailed thing of what each keyboard in the photograph is. The Mini Moog, the Mellotron, the piano, you know, it has everything kind of laid out, and for each song, it has who played what on it. Now, of course, this is all instrumental stuff with the occasional, you know, choir bit, mm. bit here and there. Uh, and of course, the great thing about this record that that happens and it, and it happens, you know, once or twice, I think, down the line in his discography is that he has, you know, people like, you know, Bill Bruford on the record. He has Chris Squire on his song. He has Steve Howe on his song. Uh, so there is elements of yes within it mm -hmm. as well. Uh, and the song that I picked from it is the opener, Catherine of Aragon, 
so that's that's one of my favorite songs. And that song, of course, uh, has Chris Squire all over it. Like you can definitely mm-hmm. hear his bass playing in amongst that. Uh, and the great thing about this record, too, is that while he's known as a prog keyboardist through and through, he doesn't have very many, like, you know, 11-minute songs on this record. A lot of them are, like, three minutes, four mm-hmm. minutes. Uh, and they're well-constructed, they're well-played. And I'm not, and believe it or not, I'm not a big instrumental album guy. I know that's probably shocking to some people, but I, I do like prog that have that has <laughs> vocals to it. So, mm-hmm. uh, but he makes records that I can listen to no problem with no vocals because I think a lot of his keyboard playing and his soloing are so melodic that it, it almost takes the place of a vocalist when he does that as well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the, the 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 thing that I also find striking about this record, I'm not sure how many people are aware of this. I'm sure plenty are if you're in the Yes world, but how many non-Yes people know this? But this album sold ridiculous. I think mm. it was something like 20 million copies of this album sold. I mean, and 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 at the time, A and M Records that released it were overjoyed. But you know, th- this is another great example of where record labels can sometimes get a little off their rocker. You know, they uh, three records later, he releases an album. I think it was a uh, the uh, King ha- King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Round Table. I think it sold like 15 million copies and they had a big emergency meeting about how record sales had slipped. So uh, <laughs> I, I can't believe that you would actually have a meeting about only, only selling 15 million albums. Mm. You know, I think that was a different time period in the music business, but yes. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah. As, in, in terms of the artwork, I think this fits perfectly with the music mm. because again, when you're listening to it, it's very sort of very British, mm. very uh, hinting at that time period. Uh, the piano playing is fantastic i mean one thing is for certain rick wakeman is probably hands down one of the best piano players Mm -hmm. that this planet has ever seen uh and when you kind of look at this artwork and listen to the music you're kind of drawn into this whole kind of british monarchy world and listening to it is such a joy when you have these kind of things to look at as well i think it's a really important artwork is to make the audio experience uh even more interesting and exciting by having those visuals to look mm-hmm. at while you listen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I was just going to briefly say that um, Rick, Wake, Rick Wakeman, as a pianist and keyboard player, there's there's a real dynamism to his playing that goes beyond just being able to play really fast. <laughs> you know, playing really yeah. fast is obviously cool, and there's a time and a place for it, but he's not just that guy. And there's a real... No. It's almost... It's like a je ne sais quoi, like that dynamism, in the same way that certain singers have it. And it's obviously... It's subjective to some degree, but I really... and I don't want to turn this into a kind of Keith Emerson versus Rick Wakeman kind of thing, but I do. I get that more personally from Rick Wakeman than I do from Keith, in spite of the fact that Keith was obviously a very dynamic uh, performer. Um, and I, 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 you know, I like plenty of Keith Emerson stuff. I'm not trying to put him down at all, but Rick Wakeman for for me, yeah, I really, you know, yeah, I, I it's almost there's, there's just not much to say in a way because all I'm going to say is it'll just be me just listing superlatives or something like that. It's not very interesting in a way, is it? Um, but Kevin, I'm sure I'm sure you probably feel similarly um, about this record. Yeah, there's a lot of Rick Wakeman's music that I've heard which I don't like. That's you know, say us up front uh, of his solo works. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mark and I have discussed many times the the variable quality of uh, Rick Wakeman's output and the ridiculously um, large amount of his of his output as well and he just seemed to 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 retread things and and 
I mean, there's a story of him sitting down at the at the keyboard because um, either a piece of music had got lost or they hadn't done enough music for uh, for his his Winter Olympics record, and he just sat down and improvised. Yeah, White Rock. He just sat down and improvised, you know, seven or eight, nine minutes of, of music, and mm. uh, and and then it turns up on the on the album. So you know, at, at that end of the scale, he's mm. he's quite happy to put out all sorts of various quality but certainly the the six wives is is a fantastic record i think it is a bit of an acquired taste i don't i mean it's not just because it's instrumental but i think the way it it fits together and the way it sounds is it's not uh, very obvious it's not it's not you wouldn't describe it as as progressive rock album it's something a bit different mm-hmm. uh, which i think is is good in a lot of ways um and the the cover i think is very interesting i mean you, you've got the Sort of sheet music in the background, and I think he's trying to trying to show the the connections with the the topic of the album, the sort of the idea of the six the portraits of the six wives, um, but pointing out that it's uh, also a modern a modern work. So there he is, as Mark said, in his in his trainers and his sneakers <laughs> and his his jeans and his his shirt and whatever, walking through this this scene of of the king and his, his six wives. So it's it's. Because it's Rick Wakeman, it's it's funny, it's humorous, it's mm-hmm. supposed to be humorous, and that's you know a lot of his character is is that way inclined. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's it's great fun to have that on the front and this combination of historic and and right bang up to date with all those instruments. Which incidentally, did you see Mark uh, Rick is selling off all, all, a lot of his original instruments? Um, so if you want to get yourself a, a an authentic Rick Wakeman Moog or or whatever, then, uh, yeah, you can do that at the moment. Yeah, I, I, I think, though, in order for me to acquire some of these things, I'd have to sell a limb or, you know, th- at the very least, you know, sell off, like, <laughs> part, of my ho- part of my home to get some of it. I mean, some of these things are expensive, and I mean, <laughs> rightly so. I mean, I think he's selling off a Hammond organ, and some of these instruments can be, like, you know, in the thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar $50,000 range. So, but, I mean, mm. you know, of course. I would love to get a hold of it, and if, and if there's uh, any rich, uh, yes, music fan supporters out there who <laughs> want to donate the money, would, I would greatly appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, shout out to anyone listening. Um, maybe we'll put up like a little um, just giving page uh, for Mark, so yeah, yeah. I'll direct you there. You, we can all try to crowdfund a Hammond organ for him. <laughs> um, I would say just one last kind of note on the album cover is that the the kind of tonal palette is for me like peak seventies. Mm. Uh, it reminds mm. me just just looking at it, it's mm. like oh yeah, like seventies furniture, seventies I don't know wallpaper. That's that's immediately what I think, and that's mm. not to disparage it, but it's almost like it's almost like another layer of like humor or something that I'm sure he didn't intend yeah. at the time. But now it's looking back, it's it's weird that it's 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 historical as you know it's about something historical like one of the most his famous historical things in British history, especially, you know, for someone who's British educated, because we all learn about the six wives. And yeah. it's also got that yeah. tongue in cheek modern twist. And now because yeah. of that kind of tonal palette and obviously because of the very nature of progressive rock, it has become a seventies historical kind of artifact. Yeah. It's 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 kind of mm-hmm. historical and modern and it's got all this like little irony built into it now, which I don't know if I have anything sophisticated to say about it or definitive, but it, it just turned it into this unique thing now. Um, but yeah, it's a very cool album, very cool album cover. Uh, thanks for suggesting that one. Um, Kevin, what's, what's your second choice then? Uh, so my, my second choice is 
uh, again, it's got lots of yes connections. When, and most obviously, when you pick the the album up and just look at the front cover, because it's a Roger Dean artwork mm-hmm. and it's Ben Craven's album, Great and Terrible Potions. And Ben is someone who um, I know quite well because he's been interviewed. We've interviewed him on the Yes Music podcast several several times and he is an australian and just an amazing progressive rock artist in his own right it's not his day job he has a day job it's 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 his sideline as it were but he produces incredible cinematic cinematic pieces um like uh, like this this whole album great and terrible potions and i think the reason that he managed to afford as it were uh, roger dean's artwork all over his all over his album was that I think the story was his manager um, knew Roger Dean's manager or something like that. But someone in the industry knew Roger Dean and uh, asked for permission for Ben to use the, the artwork. And, and that's what he's done. So you've got the amazing, uh, you know, sweeping, huge sort of Canyon, like strange um, organic slash rock on the front of the, the album. And I always think it looks a little bit like, um, a carcass as well, so it looks a bit like a rib cage, oh, um, yeah. animal that's been slaughtered for the front mm-hmm. cover of this. <laughs> <laughs> and it also looks like a, a a canyon, something like the the Grand Canyon in in uh, in America or something like that. It's a, it's it's one of his greatest um, artworks and makes a fantastic cover, I think. So Ben was very very um, happy and obviously very very lucky to be able to do that. And um, this is the only album cover that he's managed to get um, from Roger Dean, but he's actually moved on to Freya Dean, who is Roger's daughter, uh-huh. and he's used some of her fantastic artwork for, for other album covers. So, uh, and, and you've got the, the Ben Craven um, logo and, and the name of the album, Great and Terrible Potions, done by Roger Dean as well. So he's, he's designed those as he would um, for other bands, and that mm-hmm. looks fantastic on the on the album cover as well. And so you would expect the, the music to have some, some uh, progressive elements, and it certainly does. And he, he calls himself a, a cinematic um, songwriter, singer-songwriter, progressive rock singer-songwriter in his, this cinematic style, and it is very much like that. Some, sometimes his music sounds a little bit like it should be uh, from a James Bond movie. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it's a sort of amalgamation of all sorts of different kinds of prog and classic rock he he is fully capable of 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 soloing like like Steve Howe, but also like um, uh, Gilmore uh, in a sort of Pink Floyd manner. And he plays the keyboards, and he plays and he sticks in Hammond organ sounds as if he was uh, Tony Kay, and he puts in Moog solos like he's Rick Wakeman. But it's definitely not just a rip off of of Yes. It's it has its own very distinctive flavour and sound and. Again, uh, like John Anderson's Elias, this is created entirely by Ben. He's, he's an absolute wizard at the modern techniques of Pro Tools or whatever it is that he uses, constructs it all from scratch and puts together orchestral arrangements and so on on the, on the, uh, on the computer. And I love the way the, the two songs, uh, the songs from this album I've chosen. The first one's called Diabolique. And that segues straight into Nobody Dies Forever, part one. And just the grandeur, and cinematic I think is perfect because the scale of his music is enormous. 
and uh, but also it, it has a lot of contrast in it. So there, there are intimate, um, small moments um, interspersed with these huge soundscapes, and I think that's why the the album cover, not only the fact that it's Roger Dean, but the the subject of it as well, fits this music perfectly because it's on an epic scale. This this picture on the front um, and on the back <laughs> of the gatefold album, and I think it's just perfect for this music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, firstly, yeah, you... I gotta totally agree. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's all. Um, I was just gonna say, you totally blew my mind when you said that he's just. This is his thing on the side because I would have assumed. Listen to this. Yeah. This is just professional because this is. I mean, I do music on the side, and I'm not quite um, at this level. <laughs> um, it's really cool. <laughs> and it, my, my one note, I guess, because it's it, it, it's true, and it's good that you pointed out that it's not just you know a yes clone, but it is almost the assumption you could fall into quite easily given the use of Roger Dean art, which is it's kind of a, a double edged sword in that regard. You know, it. I mean, Roger Dean mm. is Roger Dean, isn't he? His art is amazing. It's evocative. It's it's beautiful, and it's like complexity and its simplicity but on the other side on the other you know side of the sword as it were he you use a roger d piece of artwork like that and the assumption is this is going to sound this is going to be a yes ripoff which i'm so glad that we do not get here at all mm-hmm. it, you know it's a great it's cinematic again mm-hmm. um total it's a great description it, it's definitely cinematic and it's not a word used often i guess with progressive rock and i, th- I think it it's definitely used appropriately here. Weirdly, the only other mm. song that I've really listened to and immediately thought this is cinematic is quite different, but it was uh, Four Horsemen by Aphrodite's Child. I don't know what it is about that oh, song, yeah. but mm. there's, I, yeah. I think there's something about, and um, we hear the same thing here, like the cleanliness of the production is part of what makes mm. it so cinematic and it's obviously epic and yeah it's totally the right description for him but i did i did inter- inter- uh, mm. interrupt you there mark so sorry if you go on with what you were going to say <laughs> well that, that's fine i mean i was unsure what the order was going to be in discussing it um ben craven is somebody who's uh, familiar to me um i do know of his music uh i think actually kevin might have been the one who introduced me to him years back uh, maybe around this time of this record, actually, or mm. around the time when he was discussing mm. this album. Uh, gr- great stuff. Uh, again, you make, you make an excellent point, though, Jacob, about the fact that when you use Roger Dean, mm. you fall into that possibility where now that you have that artwork on there, that people are going to right away think, oh, this is going to sound like yes, you know, right away. And meanwhile, he's done stuff for people like Uriah Heep and mm-hmm. uh, other bands that are not necessarily yes sounding as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, mm, but mm. he's done lots of other bands that are so that, that of course that 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 can happen right uh the music is fantastic it is very cinematic uh and it's ironic that you mentioned the fact that it could be in a james bond film because right away when i saw that title nobody nobody dies forever yeah. part one yeah, right away yeah. the first thing that came to me is diamonds are forever or no one lives yeah. you know like right yes, away it sounds yeah. like a james bond kind of title to it right away uh the mm. music is fantastic i again appreciate this sort of music mainly because of the fact that not only is it excellent and he's, he's a great singer and stuff like that, but he's a great performer uh, on his band camp. He has a couple of albums he released in uh, October of last year, the Prague Australia live album, which is him performing some stuff live at a club. And the way he does it, it's him and one other guy and whatever they don't perform live on stage is done through the use of computer, right? So they play mm-hmm. to a click 
and uh yeah. it's it's great stuff though it, it, the, the trouble of playing with a click is that if you botch something up you yeah. need to find <clears throat> excuse me need to find your way back onto the click otherwise you're you're screwed right yes so yeah. um it's it's <laughs> it's an interesting thing to have to commit to but he does he does it very well it turned out excellent uh, i think the music is fantastic and uh i think the artwork for this album cover is really good uh in one way when i first looked at it, it almost looked like and i don't think this is the point i don't think this is the case but my first impression when i saw this was is this one of these paintings that roger did and said you know i don't i don't know who to give this to i just put it aside and then hey this ben bloke came along and maybe he can take it you know kind of thing so um i don't know if it was drawn or painted in with him in mind or if it was just like a painting that, no, he's done, so. that he had, yeah, and, so. you know, Ben liked the yeah. took. Yeah. So I, like I yeah, said, I don't, I, I don't so. know for certain, obviously. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, nah. but yeah, but I mean, and the interesting thing is uh, just to make a little interesting point about the influence of art. Um, I, I use a guy who makes my album covers and he is clearly influenced by Roger Dean. Uh, and I know he's told it, he's told mm. me it several times that he's, that he loves his paintings and he was influenced as a painter by Roger Dean. And uh, I'll just show you really quickly some of the stuff he's done for me. And I'm sure you'll see the influence right away here. This is one of the first albums that he's done for me. I mean, not only is music influential, but the point I'm trying to make is that artwork itself could influence a lot of people and an artist as well. So, I mean, I, I know James, the guy who does, who does my stuff, James McCarthy, I call him my Roger Dean because he's done every single uh, mm-hmm. album cover that I've, that I've needed mm-hmm. for whenever I do my project Gemini stuff. And, you know, I think it's very important. I, I keep stressing it, that the artwork needs to kind of convey what the music does. And I think Ben does it really well here mm-hmm. with his music as well. I mean, I've, I've listened to this album several mm-hmm. times. So when, when Kevin picked out, diabolic and nobody dies forever part one i was like oh this is great i'm I'm familiar with this stuff so i could have talked about this record no problem and there's so many uh influences and the thing that's interesting about it that kevin brought up as well is that you would think yes right away like musically is the influence but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of pink floyd in his music Mm -hmm. a lot of pink floyd influence in there probably a touch more than yes i would say on his on his music so uh don't always judge a book by its cover but it's kind of good to at least have <laughs> at least have a cover that is somewhat accurate to the music. Yes, yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, so one last note on on this is that I did him playing live with only one of the musician to replicate this to a click. The, the discipline needed for that is, I mean, you obviously yeah. know this, <laughs> but that, yeah. I mean, I can record by myself in like my little home studio to a click because obviously you have to. But to do that live, oh, just the discipline and just you have to be so mm. on top of it. That is that is incredibly remarkable. And, you know, like that combined with it, like really good songwriting sensibility as well. You know, it, it's a good combo of <laughs> discipline and songwriting skill, which isn't I don't think comes naturally. I think most a lot of the time when you get brilliant musicians are either one half or the other. And this guy's clearly got it both. So I need to I need to listen to more of his stuff because I had not listened to I didn't mm. know of him at all. So thank you yeah. definitely for the recommendation on this one, Kevin. Um <laughs> so on the subject of art ma- matching the music, I'm hoping maybe my next choice does a better job than the Van Morrison album. Um so this <laughs> 
This isn't uh, so I don't know tons of all this artists necessarily, although I have seen him live uh, a couple of years ago. This is Riley Walker, and the album is Golden Sings That Have Been Sung. And the song is The Roundabout, which bears no relation whatsoever to no. Roundabout by Yes. Um, <laughs> and the artist is a Brooklyn based illustrator, cartoonist, and musician called Brian Blomuth. I think that's how you pronounce it, Blomuth. I'm going to assume that's how it is. There's one O, so it's Blomuth as far as I'm concerned. Um, and I, I, so this song, do I want to talk too much? I, so I, I, too, I do tend to like to get people's uh, opinions before I go off on one. So I, I, I'm curious what your guys' opinions on the artwork and the music itself. Mm. Okay. Well, go ahead, Kevin, if you want to go first. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I think the artwork is pretty much perfect for this music, actually. Uh, the, we've got the sun at sunset sort of melting into the into the ocean as it were and we've got some uh the 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 moon in all its different phases and and stars a starry starry night uh with the sun going down and i think it's absolutely perfect it's it is that laid back this this music it's Mm -hmm. it's it's beautiful and and well done and and i find myself really enjoying the four minutes uh, and 41 seconds of it and and uh, wanting to listen to it again once it had had finished uh, you know really restful um, lovely music, Mark. I'm glad, glad you liked it. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to totally agree. To be honest with you, um, I think the artwork is really well done. Uh, this one is definitely more in line with mm. what I kind of thought it was going to be. Because while this does have elements where you could say, "Yeah, this looks like a prog rock album," not so much I find for me because the kind of colors that he used and the way the kind of feeling I got off of it, it kind of did make me remind me more of psychedelia a little bit more Mm -hmm. and something a little bit more calmer in music, something a little bit more laid back in approach. And we definitely get that with this song, the roundabout it's very acoustic, very singer songwriting sort of approach Mm -hmm. to it. And I I really liked it. I thought the song was really well done. Mm -hmm. Uh, one thing I'm going to admit too is I did listen to this song about two or three times because when I listened to it the first time, it went by so quickly. I was like, "Oh, it's done already. Let's listen to it again." Yes. So yes. that's kind of a sign, a sign <laughs> of a good song when you yes. kind of you know get to the end of it and you're like, "Oh, that's it. I want to hear it again." So, <laughs> yeah. um, I I am going to probably seek out this record a little bit more to see if I like the rest of it. And of mm-hmm. course, if it is to my liking, then of course I see here that it says it came out on a deluxe two LP version. So no, you know me and my vinyl. So if it's <laughs> as good as I think it is, I'll probably go and try to snatch this if this, if it's yes. still available. Yeah. Um, good, good singing. Uh, the, the acoustic playing is really nicely done. I thought the production is very well done too. I mean, th- that's the thing about these sort of stripped back singer songwriter things. If you don't get the production right on this, hmm. it can be kind of disastrous. I think. I think that it needs to have that sort of vibe where you're kind of sunken into a sofa with like, you know, a thousand pillows around you that are all kind of really soft. Mm-hmm. And you kind of just sit there and you're like, oh, yeah, this is the stuff. And you kind of just listen to this music and just get into it fully immersed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So and yes. I think that 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 does it with this with this song. I, I, I don't know, uh, Jacob, if you if you know the rest of this album, how it is. But if it's anything like this song, I think I might be interested. Yeah, yeah. So he he he's generally a, a kind of folksy 
art rock kind of guy, I would guess I would probably generalize that as. But it's interesting because I was recommended this by a friend a few years ago um, because he was playing here. I live in Bristol. He was playing in Bristol um, just a few months before mm. it was recommended. And my friend said, well, do you want to come along? So I listened to it. and I thought, this is great. I went to see him live. And some of the songs, he uh, even this one, like the way he arranges them and plays them live, like quite radically different at points. Like they, they become a lot more like... Not jazz fusion, but he like the, some of the instrument, like his guitar playing and other people in the band, like they add that element to a much larger extent than I ever would have imagined. Because mm. hearing this song, my first thought is, you know, like Nick Drake, maybe John Martin, kind of mm. British folk, bucolic, pastoral, laid back, all these mm -hmm. things that we've just said already. Um, <laughs> and then live, it's a much more raucous at points, not invariably. Um, but it was really interesting because we were he had you know quite a bit of like back and forth with the the audience and he was playing a black stratocaster at one point and he started making references to you know just copying uh, david gilmore and trying to mm. <laughs> you know be david gilmore and i i've yeah. no idea i i was probably drunk at the time i think we were kind of wholesomely heckling him uh, in a in a nice way <laughs> um and it turns out he's really into genesis and into yes so and i thought well this is great <laughs> and I, yeah. there was a weird bit of back and forth <laughs> between my group and um his, him on stage um but yeah, I, I, I really like. I think his voice is great here. I, I really like the vibe. I like the match between the artwork and the music. Um, Brian Blomuth, I've I've looked at a bit of his other art. He does a, quite a lot of wacky illustrations. They're always quite colourful. Um, but this is kind of some of it's maybe a bit too wacky for my personal taste. But this, mm. I think, he's really struck a balance between colourful, slightly otherworldly. Um, but really matching the music and really subtle in a kind of beautiful way as well. I, I really like it. Um, and yeah, Riley Walker, it, it's kind of one of those things which is really, I'm getting to the age now, I'm 30, so I'm certainly, I'm not that old, but he's he's 31 <laughs> and it, it is getting a bit annoying seeing people <laughs> do so well <laughs> in music and I'm just like, well, you know, I, I play a bit. <laughs> but he's, you know, he's, he's, genu he's genuinely great. He just kind of makes me feel a little bit jealous, <laughs> which is fine. It's just yeah. a sign of his yeah. talent, really. Um, I would definitely definitely recommend listening to the rest of this album. I, I really I really enjoyed it, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And if I've not really looked for live performances on YouTube, um, but maybe you might find one. I'm sure he does lots of performances where he keeps the song very much in the original spirit but um yeah maybe it was just the night we saw him he really decided to really jazz it up but there was some really surprising arrangements of his songs that um which i thought was really great as well because it's not something you really see from people to just decide you know we're going to play it live totally different um mm. but yeah he's great he's, he's really genuinely good um but yeah i mean Unless anyone had any other thoughts on any of the albums or a kind of general way of summing it up, I think we're coming towards the end of this uh, podcast, unfortunately. Yeah, no, I think I think that we've touched base on everything mm. that we needed. I mean, I think the, the the point that I tried to make throughout the whole podcast is that I think the association with art and music for me needs to be strong. I mean, I think the cover, in a lot of ways, is I'm not going to say just as almost as mm -hmm. important as the music itself mm -hmm. because i mean think
We're losing you there, Mark. Look at that. We've done quite well throughout the entire episode, and then we get to the end, and the connection seems to have gone a little bit. Um, yeah. 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 Sorry. But I, I, just, I just wanted to agree with you, uh, just to finish off, Mark. And if you think of every classic album, not, not just progressive rock album, but every classic album uh, that's, that you can think of, um, the vast majority of them have got really... If not, if not good art, then they've got really recognisable and memorable um, covers. And, uh, you know, whether it's, whether it's a, a Queen album, uh, Greatest Hits or, or whatever, um, the Yes albums with Roger Dean artwork, um, generally speaking, I'm sure there are exceptions, but generally speaking, I think great, great albums have, mm. have at least memorable, if not great, yes, album yeah. covers. Yeah, yeah. I'm inclined to uh, bring up my beloved Beach Boys again as a possible exception because Pet Sounds. Oh co- yes, yes. Pet Sounds point. cover is <laughs> it's it ended up memorable simply by mm. by a matter of fact of because of how popular the album now is. But it's really it's it's a bit disappointing, I think. But we don't need to go into that here. Um, yeah. Do you guys do you guys want to tell us about your podcast again and um, point listeners in the direction of where they can find it? Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, the Yes Music Podcast, and you can get to it at yesmusicpodcast.com, where we've been since 2011. And uh, we release episodes every, every Friday, um, pretty much every Friday. And as I say, we're, we're approaching episode 500. And if you're available in, in August, have a look at the website, see exactly what date that is. Come and join us on the Top of Yes Tour to record that episode 500. We'd be very welcome to come and join us. Awesome. And, uh, I don't know if you can you guys hear me. Yes, we can. Yeah. I was going to say, Mark, you may as well tell oh. us a bit, bit more about where we can find your music as well. Okay. Yeah. So uh, while I still have a connection, uh, I'm going to say that uh, you can find my stuff on Bandcamp. It's the Project Gemini stuff, right? Uh, and if you notice, it's spelled this way, not <laughs> the way you would probably conventionally yes. spell it. E Y E. Yes. And uh, and it's also a C, a K instead of a C in the project mm-hmm. too. So. Um, yeah, so you can get all my music there. Uh, I do the Yes Music podcast with Kevin every week. Uh, great stuff. We enjoy doing it very much. Um, I also do, believe it or not, a Kiss podcast with with these guys uh, called the Kiss FAQ podcast with Julian Gill, who's probably one of the more renowned uh, authors in the music world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we're coming up to almost, I think we've already passed 300 episodes. But yeah, we've done quite a lot of stuff too. Uh, so you can catch me there as well, the Kiss FAQ podcast. And I also do another group with a, a fellow UK musician named Joe Bailey. <clears throat> and that band is called The Dark Monarchy. Uh, and we're just working on our second album now. And that should be coming out rather soon. So there you go. Awesome. Mark, you're you're a genuine 21st century uh, Renaissance man. You're all over this. This is amazing. <laughs> uh, for anyone listening, I, um, I'm on YouTube, I'm on Twitter, I'm on all the things as Big Yellow Praxis, or just look up my podcast on Spotify. Anywhere, really. You'll find it out there. It's on lots of platforms. Underrated, overhated. I talk about underrated music with people, you know. Um, I, t- I talk about all kinds of music, but, you know, there's a lot of prog, a lot of folk a lot of funk as well, a lot of psychedelia, but, you know, please check me out. Um, and, you know, don't forget to su- subscribe and like on YouTube. 
But that brings us to the end of the episode, and I just want to thank both Kevin and Mark for their time and for their great conversation. And I think we've covered some really great albums here, some great album covers. Even if one of them wasn't quite appropriate to the music, I still think it's a great cover. Uh, <laughs> thank you both for your time, and uh, have a good after, good evening. In fact, it's evening. <laughs> thank you. Cheers. Thanks.